At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a walk-off grand slam or a base hit to center field. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment, it's never ordinary at Pet365. 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. When you buy Kroger brand products, you feel like you're winning. That's because they offer proven quality at lower than low prices. In fact, we guarantee that you and your family will love how Kroger brand products taste. Or you get your money back. So next time you're shopping for the family, look for delicious Kroger brand products. Because they'll make you all feel like you're winning. Shop now, in-store, or online. Kroger. Fresh for everyone. A warmer brother below. Welcome to Lovey Las Vegas. For Jessica Seats with myself, Greg Eats Peterson. Now part of the Decent Family Podcast. And we've got a great podcast for you guys. We're going to be joined by one of our favorites here at the network, Jeff Parles, in segment number two. He's going to be joining me in segment number two. It's going to be a great time with him, and Jeff is going to be taking a look at just the fact that we really don't have a number one team in all of college basketball right now, the landscape of it, and he actually has pretty much, as he calls it, five and a half teams that he thinks are the tops in all of college basketball. He's going to run through those. We're going to be taking a look at some of the marquee games for Tuesday as well, and then in the final segment, going to give you guys picks and analysis on every game on the betting board for this College Basketball Tuesday as we hit some bank shots. If you have a question, comment, segment, idea, what I have before this podcast, you do have one of two ways we offer those in. First one is my Twitter timeline, at unit underscore D1. Keep in mind, letters EM, they mean does not matter. As per usual, please do send these into the timeline. The other way is find an Apple Podcast review. If you rate this podcast five stars, it is very much appreciated. From there, you're able to fire in whatever you'd like to hear on this podcast via that five-star review. I have to do this a little bit earlier because you do have the Greg Peterson experience from midnight to three Eastern, nine to midnight Pacific. Not necessarily the biggest card of college basketball on Monday, but with that said, we've got a few finals. We've got some games. They're starting to wrap up, so let's take a look at it all, try to find some trends, and try to get to know these seems a little bit better. A game from yesterday is Greg buzzing about. Here is the Rowdy Recap. How about Louisville all of a sudden being able to cover some games? If you took the opener, you certainly were able to get there. If you took the very, very late close of 17, you might have gotten a push, but 79-62, to Duke was able to get it done, and if you did dig that very, very late 17... Man, it was a little bit of a drought for Louisville late, but they go 7-17 from three-point range. You had Al Ellis chip in there 21 points for Duke. Very rock-solid performance out of all five starters. They were all able to score in double figures. Kyle Filipowski, 13 points, 7 boards. Duke goes out there, handles their business, and you did have Jacob Granderson along Tyrese Proctor. Combined for 7-8 threes for Duke, that's big for them, but... Louisville all of a sudden playing a little bit more respectably. That's something that you do like to see. We saw West Virginia completely take it to Oklahoma State 85-67. to I know that there are quite a few people that were griping at me about the refereeing, and I don't think that has anything to do with the bets on this game. I think that was just, well, the fact that referees in general are very, very quick to blow the whistle this year. That is something that I picked up on. Something else I'm picking up on. Eric Stevenson, very feast or famine. He goes 5-6 from 3 par age, 23 points for West Virginia. West Virginia was able to do a rock-solid job on the boards. They win that battle 39-37. to And for Oklahoma State, just a miserable night from 3. 2 of 19 from 3-point range. They had 18 turnovers in this game. We've got quite a few games that are going on as I do this podcast. Delaware State, by the way, 
They were able to get the job done. They were able to get a 69-68 win against South Carolina State. A South Carolina State team has been very random to begin this year, by the way. Morgan State was able to rise up after they were in a very long skid against Howard as well. And another over in a Howard game. So that is something that I'm going to be taking a look at. We don't have anything right now on the Arkansas Pine Bluff versus Texas Southern game. But this is one that I'm going to be taking a look at a little bit more. Because Texas Southern has been one of the biggest fades in all of college basketball. They entered into the night 8-16-1 against the spread. And as I do this podcast, CDK Nation pick, it is in the balance. We're right now in very good shape, by the way. As I record this, there's about a minute left in the first half of Kansas versus TCU, a minute 18 to be exact. 60 points up on the board. This actually was a total that cap, but up to 152 when I gave it out. It was 149.5, but... Yep, this one is looking relatively solid. Really going to need to avoid overtime and or some of those calamity second halves that we've been seeing right now. We'll have a little bit more on the podcast tomorrow, but what we have been noticing in college basketball is a lot of those calamity first halves, which is why whenever it comes to any of these bets, especially when it comes to totals, you never want to be considering anything one slash loss too early because in the last 30 days in college basketball, Overs are hitting at a rate of 55.1%. 772 overs, 630 unders. In this span, we've seen home underdogs be able to have a little bit of a rally after in mid to late January, they went through a little bit of a rough patch. 239, 223, and 10 against the spread in this span. Home teams hitting at a 52.7% clip against the spread. And if you take a look at the last seven days in college basketball, overs, they've been even better. 193 overs, 150 unders. That is a clip of about 56.3% through the overnight. You want to expand it out to the last 60 days. Overs are hitting at 53.5%. So it has been pretty rambunctious. If you take a look at the entirety of the college basketball season, home underdogs, They've been able to make you a very small coin if you've been betting them blindly. 717, 649, and 28 against the spread. Meanwhile, the over rate for the season currently at 51.9%, 2,433 overs, 2,254 under. So that's what we saw in college basketball right now, and that's what we're getting trend-wise. A little bit of a smaller patch of games. Like I said, we've got a few West Coast games involving the Big West that if anything significant happens in those, I will recap those on the podcast tomorrow. But what we've got coming up next is one of our good friends, Jeff Parles. He does great work here at the network. We're going to be talking about some of the teams that he thinks are the tops in all of college basketball and Tuesday's big games. That's up next right here on Coast Coast Teams with myself, Peggy Peterson, now a part of the DC Family Podcast. At Bed 365 we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. See for yourself when you sign up today and get $150 in bonus bets when you bet just $5. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment, it's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel battery tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more, right now you can save $50 on select battery tool sets. Real steel. Offer valid on select AK system sets through June 16, 2024. See participating retailer for details. 
At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a walk-off grand slam or a base hit to center field. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment, it's never ordinary at Pet365. 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel battery tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more... Right now, you can save $50 on select battery tool sets. Real steel. Offer valid on select AK system sets through June 16, 2024. See participating retailer for details. Are you ready to become a winning sports better? Schedule a call with SBIA to find out how their service can make you a long-term winning player. They've developed an innovative algorithm that maximizes units return, and they are so confident in their system that they offer a money-back guarantee. Sign up by October 31st and get their NBA package at no cost until they reach 10 net units. They treat sports betting like a business. So if you want to learn how to make your sports betting dreams a reality, visit them at SBIA1.com and check them out on social media at SBIA Sports. And we're back here in Las Vegas for Jessica Seats with myself, Greg Peters, and now part of the Beeson Family Podcast. Always great to be joined by this man as he does great work over here at VSIN as he is on the Beating the Book Mega Podcast. I know that they were able to do an amazing job all football season long with that front. I believe that you're able to catch this man on VSIN Final Countdown this week as well as I saw him with our good friend John Von Tobel last week. I know that Jeff is doing a lot of great things here at the network, a lot of our weekend betting coverage. Jeff plays a big role in that, and you're able to follow my Twitter at Jeff Parles as Jeff with a J, not a G-E altogether. And, Jeff, it's always great to have you aboard. Thank you. I'll correct you real quick, Hoops. I'm in for the legendary Gil Alexander this week, so I'm on a numbers game, 10 to noon Eastern, for the remainder of the week. Oh, very nice. I know that you were his producer last year, and this year you were more on the Megapod, so yep. a little bit of switcheroonie there, but filling in for the legend of Gil Alexander, and I always love to see it, my friend. And, Jeff, let's take a look at this landscape of college basketball because – if you've got a clear-cut number one team in all of college basketball, you let me know because it's been changing by the hour for myself. And I do feel like this is just a very wide-open year in terms of college basketball. I'm not a futures player to start out with, and I'm glad that I'm not because this is just one of these situations where trying to figure out who your top team is in the country is based on who they're going to be playing next because it does feel like it's very matchup-oriented. And I do feel like there's a lot of good teams in college basketball this year and just lacking that great team. Yeah, there's no great team. That means, Greg, is we're going to have an amazing tournament or we're going to have a terrible tournament, all things considered, because (laughs) either we're going to get crazy upsets across the board, going to get a lot of these good teams getting to Houston for the Final Four, or we're just going to get plain old chalk. I don't know what we're going to get. Here's what I'll say, Greg. We do have five teams above the rest. I guess I'm going to say five and a half. I know Purdue, top five in Ken Palm. They've been ranked at the top of the polls. I'm going to count them as a half because Edie is such a unique player in this day and age of college basketball that he gives them a bump, but I really don't like their guards, and I don't trust them in a big-game scenario, and I also think the Big Ten is really average this year. So they're the half. The other teams I would throw in there, here's the Houston. 
They're the most balanced, best team in the country. Alabama, they're great defensively, and then when they're hitting threes, forget it, you're not beating them. The defending champions, Kansas, who I just think Dylan Wilson would win the Naismith Player of the Year award any other year if it wasn't for Zach Eady. Championship pedigree, enough guys back from last year's championship team. Arizona are both legitimate national title contenders. The problem I have with Arizona is I don't trust them defensively. And even though Tommy Lloyd has proven to be a very good regular season coach, I really did not like how that looked last year in the NCAA tournament where TCU should have beaten them, and then they got wiped by Houston and San Antonio. And then UCLA, look, UCLA is really good again, Greg. And I'm still kind of stunned they lost that game to UNC in the Sweet 16 a year ago. But they will go as Tiger Campbell goes. I know Hawkes is the guy who's number four in Ken Palm's K, uh, K player of the year. But when Tiger Campbell has played poorly this year, a.k.a. the two games in Vegas and the game against UC, USC they lost, they got beat. So they need Tiger Campbell to be Tiger Campbell of the good. Because if he's Tiger Campbell of the good, the Bruins can win the whole thing. Yeah, with UCLA, they've got such a good championship pedigree. Jaime Akes, who was part of that Final Four team, along Tiger Campbell, who you mentioned as well. So I do think that we've got some very fascinating teams there. And a lot of these fascinating teams, they are going to be on display within the next few days. And I do take a look at this Tennessee team, and I think that they're such an interesting case study as well because we were taking a look at Alabama, and they were able to knock off Alabama last week, and then they go out and they get swept by Kentucky this year as well. What do you make out of Tennessee, a team that's been dealing with some ailments, going up against a Texas A&M team that, if I'm looking for a dark horse right now, Texas A&M is towards the top of the list ever since that terrible loss that they took to Wofford against December. They've honestly been one of the better surprises in all of college basketball, a team that's really locked down on defense themselves. All right, so uh, let's uh, let's start with the Texas A&M side of this before we get to Tennessee. Texas A&M should have been in the tournament last year. It's funny. Ken Palm has them better offensively than defensively. I think, in part, we think of them defense first because they play so darn slow. But Buzz Williams is an excellent coach, and he's always has been. You mentioned it. They lose to Murray State on a neutral. They get drilled by Colorado, who ends up not being particularly good. They lose that game in Texas to Boise, who I know Boise's an NCAA tournament caliber team, but I don't really love them. And then they lose at home to Watford, who stinks this year. You know, the flip around would be 12-2 and two in conference, where your only two losses were when Kentucky was as desperate as they were all year. And then in Arkansas, when Arkansas was pretty darn desperate, you got a good basketball team, and they are going to be a team that probably will be underseeded because their metrics aren't great, and the SEC's metrics aren't great. They will be a team underseeded that no one will want to play in the round of 64 and the round of 32 if they advance. Greg, on Tennessee side, I think they are the team that the metrics have missed on the most in the last 10 years in college basketball. They are good defensively, and I know they're number one by far defensively in Ken Palm. But I think a lot of that, teams just don't shoot well against them. They do guard the three-point line well. But again, I think three-point defense a little more random than people give it credit for. And then offensively, they're really mediocre. And I think this swoon that they have, they're in right now, where Florida smacked them, Vandy and Mizzou got them on back-to-back buzzer beaters, and then Kentucky really handled them on Saturday – I don't think this Tennessee team is cut out for March. Rick Barnes is a 500 coach in the tournament. We know what he is at this point. If they are a three seed, I draw them as the six. I'm licking my chops, Greg. 
Because if it's a good six seed, or maybe if we get lucky, like a good mid-major six seed, it's a shame Florida Atlantic's not going to get be that high anymore. But hey, maybe it'll be the 11 seed that draws them against the three. I'll be all over the 6-11 that draws Tennessee in the round of 32. And I am going to be on A&M in this one later today. And with Texas a and been very impressed by them. And how much do you attribute just conference side when it comes to handicapping these teams as well? It's Jeff Parles, who does great work here at Beast and joins me on the podcast because you were talking about three-point shooting defense being a little bit random. I don't think that's necessarily random as much as it is the SEC in general just doesn't have teams that hit threes. Meanwhile, you take a look at the Big Ten, you've got a little bit of a similar issue there, and then you get into places like the Summit League, the Horizon League, where you've got a lot of good jump shooting teams and a lot of teams that they don't play any defense whatsoever. How much do you take a look at the conference itself when trying to gauge some of these metrics? Because I think a team that has been able to allow opponents to shoot like 32% from three-point range in, say, the Big 12 should be given a little bit more credence than a team that's perhaps in the SEC as a three-point shooting defense of like 30 and a half, 31%. It's a very good point, Greg. You know, it's kind of funny because it really does feel like, and I have to double-check the metrics here, like at least the elite teams out West are great offensively this year and can actually shoot the ball. The rest of the Pac-12 really cannot. What a misery the Pac-12 has been after those top two teams. I know USC is going to make the tournament. Arizona's right on the bubble. Arizona State, I should say, right on the bubble. Not Arizona. Arizona's going to be a one or a two seed. No, look, it's a good point. And that's what, again, that's part of the reason I don't really love Tennessee. You're in a league that doesn't really shoot the three ball well. So that plays a role in your three-point defense being as good as it is. Yep, I think that that is always something that's so fascinating to take a look at. And what else I think is very fascinating to take a look at is that race in the Big East. And we've got a big one that is going to be going down on Tuesday between Creighton and Marquette. I don't know if either of these teams is necessarily a fortified Final Four team. And I don't know if there is one in the Big East, but the way that these two teams have been playing – UConn has some upside, though you just don't know what UConn team is going to show up night in, night out. Providence always pulls out those close games. Xavier has great offense. I mean, all five of those teams are ranked between 10 and 20, and they're fascinating. But this Marquette versus Creighton game really stands out to me. What are you expecting in this one? Because the last time these two teams met up, Ryan Kalkbrenner was on the fold, and I think that Creighton in Oma is going to want to take it out on Marquette, and I see this number right around 5 to 5.5, and, and I'm personally going to be willing to lay it. I'm going to stay out. I think that number feels about right. If you made me bet it, I would lay it with Creighton, even though we know how good Shaka Smart's teams are historically <laughs> covering numbers of underdogs, especially when they're good. All I'm going to say, Greg, is the Big East got totally hosed by the committee in that reveal 1-16 through 16, where Marquette was the only team in the top 16, which is you watch more college basketball than anyone. It's a lot of bull honky that the Big East got slighted like they did. Yeah. There are five legitimately good second-weekend teams in that conference, I don't care that the bottom half stinks, where Seton Hall is mediocre, Villanova's not Villanova, St. John's one of the bigger disappointments in the country, and then those bottom three teams suck. They are all awful. By the way, congratulations to Georgetown winning a road game. Good job by them. Not good by Butler allowing that to happen over the weekend. But Marquette, Creighton, Xavier, Providence, I don't trust UConn, but I got to throw them in there because they're so darn talented. Those five teams are capable of playing and beating mostly anyone in the country on any given day because all those teams have exquisite guard play. And that game will be a great guard play game in Omaha. I will stay off. If you made me bet it, I would lay it with Creighton. And Greg Creighton is rounded into form at the right time. They are finally the team we all expected them to be in the preseason. 
where, again, the only game they've lost since January 11th was that epic double OT game at the dunk. I know it's not called the dunk anymore in Providence, but it will forever be the dunk to me. Hey, it's forever the dunk to me as well. It's like a Mika Pavilion or something like that. And Yeah, not, not as fun. Lame. I am in agreement with you there. And, Jeff, another game I think is a very much fascination for this Tuesday as well. I was talking about how the Big 12 is just such a brutal conference. Baylor and Kansas State are going to be doing battle in the Little Apple. Baylor, a very, very slight, like one, one and a half point favor. What do you make out of this game? Because I do think that it's going to be a nip and tuck game. Heck, last time these two teams played, it went to overtime in Waco. And I do think that Jonathan Shawmachachua is a big difference maker for Baylor. But I think the big question is, how does Baylor respond after they got up 15 plus points against Kansas and then lost the game? By 15-plus points, because that's one of the most soul-crushing ways to lose. Let's go to K-State first before we go to Baylor. That was a very important win on Saturday for them. That was a really important win where it started to feel like wheels are going the wrong way on the bus. You're going backwards. You lost four out of five, and you beat a really good team in Iowa State coming from behind to do so as well. So that was a very important win for Jerome Tang squad, who, again, I love Noel. I love Johnson. I love Sills. I think they have as good of a trio as anyone. They just lack the depth to probably make a huge run in the tournament. But, hey, if your top guys get hot, you got a shot, and they play the right positions. Greg, I am very concerned of the spot for Baylor here because the big double-digit lead at halftime against KU, you get smoked. You get outscored by 29 in the second half of the fog. And look, that could, that could happen. Kansas is the best home team in the country, and it's the best home court advantage on planet Earth in, in, in almost all sports at this point. It is a bad spot, and you're playing a really good team, and you're playing in an electric venue. I don't really care about the revenge spot stuff as much as other people do because, Greg, all these teams in the Big 12, at least one through seven, are all really freaking good and are capable of beating anyone on any single day. So I think the number's right. I'm not going to bet it. I'll probably look for an in-game scenario where one of the two teams gets down a bunch and I'm getting a bloated number either way. I think that that's a good way to be able to take a look at it because I do think that it's going to be a little bit of a nip and tuck game. And I don't think both teams get to 90 like they did the last time around, especially because that game also went to overtime as well. And both teams got north of 80 in regulation as well. Baylor, ever since that game, they've been playing a little bit more slowly, but I do think that that is going to be a game that's going to be a lot of fun to take a look at. And if Baylor could get righted as well, I think that they could be able to make some noise on the national landscape. And Jeff, just in terms of this college basketball Tuesday, we've got a good Tuesday. I mean, it is all the sizzle that you want. You got some action, you got some Atlantic 10, and then you got a lot of power conference games. Is there a game or two that maybe we have not discussed that you're going to be looking at, whether it be just to be able to gauge that team a little bit more or from a betting perspective? What do you got on Miami and Vodtech right now? Miami, I'm seeing as an underdog of about one and a half to two points. All right. So, look, it's not a great spot for Miami. They've racked off six in a row since that close loss to Pitt. But I think Miami's underrated by the metrics. Part of the reason they're as bad metrically is because they're bad on defense. But when you have two guards like Wong and Pack, you're pretty difficult to beat. And they're a dangerous team in March to me because of how good those guards are. And Laranega... He's a great tournament coach. We saw him in the Elite Eight when they weren't even good last year. Obviously, the George Mason run. We've seen him go to the second week of multiple times with the Canes. Bob Tech has really stabilized the ship because things were really bad when they were 1-7 in conference. Again, 5-3. and three. 
Titans against Virginia. Duke mixed in there. A nice win on Saturday at home against Pitt. They've been much better in Blacksburg. But I don't think they match up great with Miami. They're not good defensively either. And Miami's guards, as good as Sean Padula is, these guards are better than what Vodtech has. I know it's a crappy spot, and I know people are going to probably bet Vodtech. But I'll go with the square side. I'll take Miami, getting the point, maybe even get two by the time that game tips. The same sort of deal last Monday, Greg, where I was a little surprised in that game against North Carolina for Miami. They went off as big of an underdog as they did. Carolina might miss the damn tournament at this point. Look, I think Miami, their guards are really good. That's as good of a duo as anyone's got in the country. I'll take my chances that they can win outright against Vatek on the road. And speaking of good duos, whenever you join me on this podcast, I always think that we make a good duo, Jeff. You do amazing work over at VSEN. You do an incredible job taking a look at a little bit of everything. I know you do a lot of work on the weekends. You mentioned it. You're in for Gil Alexander this week. I believe that VSEN Final Countdown is what you were filling in on last week as well. You've been all over the network the last few weeks, so love the good people at home. Know it's all on tap for you, and how people can follow one of the best five-tool players that we've got at VSEN on social media and other platforms. At Jeff Parles on the tweets. A numbers game this week, Monday through Friday, 10 to noon Eastern. And then schedules are a little bit different soon. But I bet Saturday noon to 3 with your guy Jared Smith on Saturday and Sunday this week, actually. A noon to 3 Pacific, so 3 to 6 Eastern. Myself and Jared Smith on Saturday. And then, of course, uh, a numbers game, like I said, 10 to noon Eastern. I am Eagle later today, Greg Peterson, on a numbers game today. That is going to be a lot of fun. Ian Eagle, just one of the best voices that you're going to find in all of sports. Everything that he calls, it just turns to gold. Everything that Jared touches as well turns to gold. So I'm very much looking to that show between you two that is going to be coming up within the next few days as well. And Jeff always does amazing work. Taking a look at college basketball when it comes to baseball season. He always joins me on that podcast. Does absolutely amazing work on that front as well. And it's always appreciated whenever we're able to get the insights of Jeff Parles. Big thanks to him for joining me on Coast to Coast Hoops. Now part of the Visa family podcast and coming up next. It is that time of the podcast. They give you a fix and analysis on every game on the betting board for this college basketball Tuesday. As we eat some big shots. At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a walk-off grand slam or a base hit to center field. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment. It's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel battery tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more, right now you can save $50 on select battery tool sets. Real steel. Offer valid on select AK system sets through June 16, 2024. See participating retailer for details. At Bed 365 we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. See for yourself when you sign up today and get $150 in bonus bets when you bet just $5. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment, it's never ordinary at Bed 365 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply.
Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel battery tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more, right now you can save $50 on select battery tool sets. Real steel. Offer valid on select AK system sets through June 16, 2024. See participating retailer for details. At Bed 365 we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. See for yourself when you sign up today and get $150 in bonus bets when you bet just $5. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment, it's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel battery tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more... Right now, you can save $50 on select battery tool sets. Real steel. Offer valid on select AK system sets through June 16, 2024. See participating retailer for details. And we're back here in Las Vegas for Coast Coast Hoops with myself, Greg Hoops Peterson, now a part of the Beeson Family Podcast and... It's always great to get Jeff Parles aboard. He does amazing work here at the network, taking a look at a wide variety of things. I know that he's going to be filling in on quite a few shows the next few weeks with the vacations that inevitably come at the end of the football season. He always does an amazing job taking a look at college basketball, taking a look at all things football. For those that like my baseball podcast, the Baseball Betting Show, he does a great job on that front as well, and it's always great to be able to get him aboard. A big thanks to Jeff for joining me in the last segment. Now it is that time of the podcast. They give you picks and analysis on every game on the betting board for this College Basketball Tuesday as we hit some bank shots. Most financial establishments close at a certain time, but not here. It is time for a side and total on every game on today's betting board bank shots. Do note that as per usual, any changes there made to these plays will be listed up on my Twitter feed at unit underscore D1, and we are going to be going in Las Vegas rotation order. Today, that's pretty much time order. We don't have any extra games, nothing to fuss about or anything like that, so we are all good to go on that front, so let's get things started with 601-602 on the betting board. It is Villanova. They the road they're going to be facing off against Xavier. The X-Men are a favorite of between 5.5 and 6 points with your total between 148 and 148.5, and this is the spot where I did set my total at a 145.5. I'm going to be taking a look at the under. Villanova's been a slow and control team all season long. They've been in the bottom 70 in terms of total possessions per game. Meanwhile, Xavier, they've been a top 25 team in terms of total possessions per game. Xavier, top 15 team in terms of points scored on a per-possession basis, but the Xavier defense has really been able to do a solid job recently. They've given up 71 points or fewer in each other last four games, so... They've been able to shape up a little bit more on that front. Now Xavier has been dealing with that injury to Zach Fremantle. He has missed the last few games, and Jerome Elner has been able to do a solid job down low for the team. Overall for the season, averages 7 points, 4 rebounds per game. Doesn't give that element of 3-point shooting that you're going to find out of Fremantle, but he has been able to do a great job with 5-plus rebounds in each out of the last 5 games. Also does facilitate a little bit. He's been able to give the team multiple assists in three out of the last four games, and that helps out Jack Nungy. He's been able to give you about eight rebounds, 14 and a half points. He does shoot north of 40% from three-point range, and 
Got a Xavier team that as a whole, they shoot 39.6% from the outside. That's a top 15 mark in all of college basketball. So they boom Kobe Jones. They combined for 31 points, 9 rebounds, 4.7 assists per game apiece. Both of these guys shoot between 409 and 41.5% from three-point range. So they've been rock solid. But with Villanova, they have been able to do a better job with their defense recently. They do give up the 85 spot to Providence. But that is the only game ever since... They have gotten Justin Moore back in the fold that they have allowed more than 70 points. So I do think that this is going to be a lower scoring game. I did set my total at a 145 and a half as a result, but it is a Villanova team that they have left a little bit of something to be desired with their offense. And it's not free throw shooting because, well, they are shooting as a lot of 82.2% at the free throw line. I believe that that is the number one mark in all of college basketball. You've got a pair of guys in Eric Dixon, Caleb Daniels, who both give between 15 and a half and 16 points per contest. These two guys... Done a nice job, 11.5 rebounds per game. Cam Whitmore is able to give you about 12 points per game as well. Moore hasn't necessarily been terrific on the offensive side of things, shooting sub-30% for three, but is able to deliver 11 points per game. And I do like the way that the defense has been able to come along for Villanova, but still certainly has some cracks in it. If you take a look at the entirety of the college basketball season, Villanova 208th in the country turns points a lot on a per-possession basis. Not as if Xavier is doing some amazing job on defense either at 175th in the country. There's points a lot on a per-possession basis, but Xavier also giving up 8.9 points fewer per 100 possessions at home. And I just don't know if Villanova is going to be able to match the offensive firepower that Xavier is able to deliver. I do think that this is going to be different than the 88-80 to game that we saw last time around. Xavier shot over 50% from three-point range in that game. Xavier also lost a turnover battle 14-8. I do think that... They will take care of the ball a little bit better. I do think the Villanova is going to be able to stay lively in this game, but I do think that in the end, Xavier just has too much for Villanova to be able to handle. Did semi total at 145.5, diving under, and with Xavier, made them a 7.5 point favorite, so willing to lay the number 603, 604 on the betting board. Central Michigan hits the road face off against Buffalo. Buffalo is an 11.5 point favorite, and your total is between 147 and 148. And for Buffalo, I did set them as a favorite of 13.5 points. So I'm going to be willing to lay this number. It is a central. Michigan team that has been playing without their top scorer in Jesse Zarzula recently, and that has felt doomsday for a Central Michigan team that, honestly, out of conference, they were a top 125 defense, but you take a look at things recently for the Central Michigan team, and it has not been good. This is a bunch that have now allowed at least 76 points in four out of their last six games. They have been able to hold Western Michigan down when they've been playing them, but past that, it's not been too terrific. You've been really relying upon Brian Taylor for things down low, 14.8 points, 6.3 rebounds. He is the only guy in the roster that is healthy that's giving you north of 4.5 rebounds per game. Carlington McCaskill has been able to give you about 4.5 rebounds per game as well, but looks like he's still going to be out of the fold for this one as well. Morislav Stoffel has not panned out since he transferred over from Hartford, so not been good for the team down low, and it's not like Buffalo necessarily does an amazing job with their post play either. You've only got one guy that gives you north of 5 rebounds per game. That'd be Laquell Hardnett, who has been able to give the team 7.5 rebounds, about 10.5 points per game. But Sid Powell, Curtis Jones, they should be able to control things in the backcourt. These two guys combining for 27.5 points per contest. Adams, Isaiah Adams is able to shoot about 33% from three. He's been able to give the team 11 points per game. And Jones, he shoots 37% from the outside as well. Been able to get four assists per game out of Armani Foster as well. So the backcourt is starting to mix and match. A little bit better for this Buffalo team. You've got a Central Michigan team that they just are having a tough time being able to take care of the ball. 15.8 turnovers per contest. They shoot as collective 30.1% from three. 
when you mash in there the fact that they just have absolutely no defensive assemblance whatsoever right now. It's just a no good, very bad situation for Buffalo. They are 266th in the country in terms of points allowed on a per-possession basis, less than Savory. Central Michigan, they're 237th, but a lot of that is what Central Michigan built up at the beginning of part of the season. They have been not good ever since then. It is a Buffalo team that they themselves have had a little bit of a rough time on offense, scoring fewer than 70 points in each of the last three games, but consider the competition. Kent State, Ohio, Akron, three of the better teams on defense in the conference, and Ohio. Meanwhile, in games outside of playing against those three, this team has been able to get to 75 on the regular, and I do think that they should be able to do so against an undermanned Central Michigan team. So I did set my line at 13.5. I'm going to be willing to lay the number with Buffalo. Did make my total 145.5. It is a Buffalo team that ranks in the top 20 nationally. Turns of points allowed on a per-possession basis. But for the Central Michigan team, they've been able to get past the 70-point plateau in two out of their last 18 games against D1 competition. I don't think they hold up their end of the bargain on this settle. So semi total at 145.5. Diving under one delay with Buffalo as well. 605, 606 on the betting board. Bowling Green goes on the road faceoff against Miami of Ohio. And Miami of Ohio is a 1 to a 1.5 point favor with your total between 155 and 155.5. And for Miami of Ohio, I did set them as a favorite of three points. I'm going to be willing to lay this number. For Bowling Green, you do have some good top flight backcourt pieces like Leon Ayers III, who's able to supply 17.5 points per game. She's 41.5% from three. Then you also get 41.5% three-point shooting out of Caden Metheny, who has been able to supply about 11 points per game himself and 16-plus points throughout the team's last four games. But for Bowling Green, just still a bunch has not been able to play any defense whatsoever. Not that Miami of Ohio says they're doing a tremendous job of being able to make like the 85 Bears or anything like that. Miami of Ohio currently 351st in the country. Turns points a lot on a per-possession basis, but Bowling Green right on par with that. Bowling Green 340th in the country. Turns points a lot on a per-possession basis. And you take a look at this Bowling Green team down the stretch, and they have given up at least 86 points in four of the last five games, with the exception being a good hearty 77 spot. So that is very much... Less than Savory. Last time these two teams played, it was Bowling Green who was able to get the job done in that game by kind of 83 to 73 in that game. Miami of Ohio shot just 3 of 17 from 3, while Bowling Green won 22 of 24 at the free line and 7 to 16 from distance. I do think the thing should iron out this time around. For Miami of Ohio, you do have Morgan Safford along with Mikai Larry. These two guys have been able to do a good job combining for 33 points. Safford at 6 of 5 gives you a little bit over 6 boards. Both of these guys shoot about 35.5% from 3 par inch. Miami of Ohio shoot 70 7.5% the charity stripe, the 13.5 turnover swing. A little bit tough, but Anderson Marbeau is a 300-pound load. That's able to give you about 5.5 rebounds per game. You need a little bit more consistency out of someone like a Billy Smith, who shoots 36% from three and about 6.5 points per game, but he's very Jekyll and I with his scoring. But I do think that Miami of Ohio, the overall three-point shooting that they have on this team, going up against a Bowling Green team that you do have Rashawn A.G., Chandler Turner, combined for 11.5 rebounds per game, but not necessarily a lot of size, not necessarily a lot of depth for them either. Miami of Ohio has been playing a tad bit better recently. I do think that they're going to be able to get the ship righted. They should be able to get this one to the window as it is a Miami of Ohio team. That's a lot of 66 or fewer in two out of their last three games. So they've been able to rise up a little bit more on that front. Did set my total at a 151. So here at 155, 155 and a half diving under with Miami of Ohio. One delay up to two and a half with them. Made them a three-point favorite. 607, 608. On the betting board, VCU, it's road face off against St. Joe's. St. Joe's. They hope to not be average Joe's. They are four and a half to five 
six-point home underdogs in your total. It is between 137 and 138, and for VCU, made them a six-point favorite. I'm going to be willing to lay this number. It is a VCU squad that has done just such an amazing job with their defense. They're a top-20 team nationally in terms of points allowed on a per-possession basis. Now, for VCU, they are a squad that they turn the ball over nearly 14 times per game, but in terms of turnovers forced on a per-possession basis, they're also a top-20 team in the country with that regard, and they're going up against the St. Joe's team that they do have some good top-flight scoring, but the defense... It can be a little bit all over the place for this team, about 166th in the country in terms of points allowed on a per-possession basis with Eric Reynolds being the main headline scorer for this team, 18.5 points, just 37.5% from three. Now, what I will say about the St. Joe's defense is that each of your top four scorers and four of the top five, they do give you all at least one steal per game, but they're without Kapper Klanzic, who has been dealing with an injury ever since very late January. Six-foot-eight combo player was giving you a steal, five-and-a-half rebounds per game, so they have to rely a little bit more on Ajikbe Obiana, who comes in from Vanderbilt. He's been able to give the team overall for the season five-and-a-half rebounds per game, and has been playing a little bit better recently. He has given the team at least six rebounds, and that's six out of the team's last seven games, a double-figure amount of points in all but two of those as well, some credit where credit is due there. And then you do have a pair of guys Cameron Brown and Glenn Greer III that have been very versatile. A combined 25.5 points, 11.2 rebounds. Greer is your main point guard with four assists per game. They combine for two and a half steals. And Brown shoots 39% from three-point range. But for VCU, Ace Baldwin is going to be the best player out there on the floor. 5.8 assists, 36% three-point shooter. Does a great job being able to supply steals as he has given the team a combined 12 steals in the last three games. You want to talk about active hands? This guy checks that box. Jaden Deloach is able to give you seven rebounds per game. And then you've got so many guys that do a good job with their role, like a Jaden Nunn, Jameer Watkins, heck, someone like a Nick Kern. All these guys, they just deliver good contributions for a VCU team that has been completely locking it down with their defense. They have allowed 65 points or fewer in every one of their last now seven games. It's absolutely ridiculous. Actually, I think that it's every one of their last nine games and all but two of the games that they have played in this season. St. Joe's, I think, is just going to be shackled up with their offense. It's a defense for St. Joe's that has allowed at least 70 in four of their last five games. So just a tough matchup in general. It is a St. Joe's team that had some turnover woes as well as overall for the season. They're turning the ball over about 13 times for contest. I just don't think that this is a good matchup for them. So as a result, I did set my total at 136. I think that VCU is going to be allowing right around 65 points in this game and is going to be able to get the job done on the spread. So VCU is a six-point favorite. Want to lay the number and going to be taking a look at this total under. 609-609 on the betting board. Missouri State plays us in Murray State. Murray State is a 5-5.5 to five and a half point underdog with your total at 136. And with Murray State, I did set them as a underdog of 5.5 points. So here at 5, it is the max I'm willing to lay with Missouri State. But a little bit befuddling with the total. I do recognize that this is a Murray State team that has been very much lacking in terms of their defense, but I'm erring on the side of this game getting slowed down very much, so I set my total at a 129.5. As a result, I'm going to be going under. Missouri State is a bottom 25 team in terms of total possessions per game. They don't necessarily do a great job shooting at the free throw line as well. They shoot right around 64 to 65% as a collective, but they've done a solid job with their defense. 118th in the country in terms of points allowed on a per-possession basis despite their slow style, giving up in the neighborhood about 9.3 points fewer per one on possessions when they are at home. And they face off against a Murray State team that doesn't shoot it well from three. Murray State, they're only turning the ball over about 11 times per game. They're outside the top 200 in terms of possessions per game, so they're relatively controlled as well. But you got Rob Perry, Jacoby Wood. They combined to shoot about 33.5% from three. 24.8 points between the two of them. And these two gentlemen throw in there the Queens NC transfer of Jamari Smith. 
All three of them give you between 4.3 and 4.5 rebounds per game. You do get a seal and a half out of wood, but this team doesn't necessarily do a great job on that front either. And for Missouri State, gotta love the way that Donovan, Clay, and Chance Moore have been able to take over the offense. Combined 23 points per contest. Clay at 6'8 has been able to give you 5.5 rebounds, 3.5 assists, a block per contest, good versatility, more Gives you more in terms of three-point shooting at 35.3% from the outside than Josh Mogbo. How about him being the human matrix, filling up every common statue? 1.2 blocks, 7.8 points, 7.1 rebounds, 1.4 steals per contest. So that has been rock solid for a Missouri State team. That Take a look at what they've been able to do, and they've just been able to get their slow, grimy style in every single one of these games. This is a squad that last time they were able to break 70 points in regulation because they played an overtime game against Valparaiso. It was, ironically enough, well, last time they played against Murray State, and that's the last time that they really gave up north of 71 points in regulation either, as Missouri State has done a great job of being able to get their very slow, very grimy style last time these two teams played. The reason why it went over the total is that you had Murray State go 21 of 24 at the free throw line on their own floor. I do think that that is going to be tamed down. Just a little bit here, and for Missouri State, if you include that game against Murray State, they have allowed 65 points or fewer in regulation because they played some overtime games in 10 out of their last 12 games. So I do think the Missouri State going to do a rock-solid job with their defense. I think that things are going to be a little bit more tame after last time around. Both teams were able to get to 70, and I do think the Missouri State gets their slow, grimy style. I said Missouri State is a 5.5-point favorite. I'm going to be willing to lay the number. Did make my total a 129.5 as well. So, seeing the 136, I'm going to be diving under. I'm willing to lay up to 5 with Missouri State. 611, 612 on the betting board. Ohio is going to be playing us in Northern Illinois. Northern Illinois, an underdog of 10 points with your total between 149 and 150. And for Northern Illinois, did set them as an underdog of 10 points. I'm seeing a 10.5 pop up as well. And at the 10.5, that would be my buy point here on Northern Illinois. A Northern Illinois team that has had to deal with quite a few ailments throughout the season, including an injury to their top scorer in Keyshawn Williams, who was averaging right around about 17 or so points per contest. But David Coit has really been able to step up and become that number one guy. 16 points per contest, shoots 38% from three-point range. And just take a look at his results recently. He has been able to get to at least 12 points in each of the team's last eight games. So he's been very consistent for the team. Meanwhile, Ohio... They're going to be able to dominate down low. They do have Dwight Wilson the third. He's been able to give the team 15.5 points, 9.3 rebounds per game. Now, with Ohio, this is not the defense that you would typically expect out of this bunch, and it's not necessarily the tempo that you'd expect really out of both of these teams, as both of these teams have been kicking things upward. Northern Illinois, 73rd in the country in terms of total possessions. Brain, Ohio, more around 130th. And for Ohio, in terms of points allowed on a per-possession basis, clocking in 263rd. Northern Illinois, 241st, so both of these teams have had their issues on that front, but feels like Ohio is finally getting it through their skulls that, you know, well, we need to play a little bit of defense. They gave up a combined 120 points in the last two games against Central Michigan along with Buffalo. They have now given up fewer than 70 points in three other five games this month, so feels like they're turning over a little bit of a new leaf. You've got a pair of guys with Lance St. Brown and A.J. Brown and Miles Brown who've done a good job of being able to give the team some production for A.J. Brown, he was missing for quite a few games, but coming off of 10 points against Central Michigan, looks like he's all good to go now as he's been a 37.5% three-point shooter with 10 points per contest. Miles Brown, more on 11 points per game, shooting 45% from three, and then Jalen Hunter, your top facilitator, 12.5 points, 4.3 assists, shooting 40% from three. Ohio as a whole, they shoot 38% from three-point range, and they do a significantly better job of taking care of the ball than Northern Illinois, only about 11.3 turnovers per contest for Ohio. Northern Illinois, they just really don't have a lot on the glasses. Reek Nutter with his 
4.8 rebounds per game, and Anthony Crump with his 5. They're your top rebounders in this game, but I do like what I'm seeing out of Caleb Thornton. He's been able to give the team over a 1.5 steals per game, 5 assists. He's become a good facilitator for a Northern Illinois team as shooting 35% from 3 and has really been able to play some better basketball recently. The squad has not necessarily been supreme on defense all season long, but now they've given up fewer than 70 points in two out of their last three games. Offense certainly has been much better this go-around as they have gotten to at least 75 points in four out of their last five games. So an interesting ordeal. Just like both of these teams, trying to put forth a little bit more of a effort on defense. I did set my total at 148 as a result. I'm diving under and for Northern Illinois. They will lose battle on the glass, but I like this backcourt. Set them as a 10-point underdog, so at 10.5, won't take the points, and I'm going to be taking a look at this total under 613-614 on the betting board. Robert Morris plays O.C. Young Sound State. Young Sound State, a 5.5-point favorite, and your total it is between 144 and 144.5. And, and for Young Sound State, made them a 4.5-point favorite. I'm going to be willing to take the 5.5 with Robert Morris. Robert Morris has a lot of good interchangeable parts on the roster, like Enoch Cheeks. Cheeks is one of the more versatile mid-major players they're going to find it all of college basketball. He's registering 16 points, 4.5 boards, 3.5 assists. She's 37% from 3 with 1.9 steals and 1.3 blocks per contest. Now for Youngstown State, his team ranks in the top 8 nationally. In terms of points scored on a per-possession basis with Dwayne Coyle being your main scorer at 47.5% 3-point shooting on volume. 1.5 steals, 18 points per game. He has been nothing short of amazing. And then you've got Adrian Nelson along with Molly Green combining for 27 points. They've done a good job combining for nearly 17 rebounds per contest as well. So they have been great down low for this team. But you do have a Robert Morris team that also has Khalil Spear. He comes in from Bucknell. He's standing six foot eight. He's able to do a solid job being able to pop some threes, 15 and a half points, 8.2 rebounds. And then you've been able to get right around 4.4 assists, a 2.1 turnovers game. Not necessarily a ton of scoring with about eight points per game, but you get those 4.4 assists per contest as well out of Michael Green, who I do think is going to do a solid job of facilitating against a Youngstown State team that overall for the season hasn't necessarily been great with their defense. They're right around 180th in the country in terms of points allowed on a per-possession basis, but has been significantly better recently. Meanwhile, you do have a Robert Morris team that they are looking to get their slow, controlled pace. Robert Morris out of your 363 D1 teams, they rank 268th in the country in terms of total possessions per game for Robert Morris. Certainly has been a team that has been able to do an amazing job with their defense Allowing 64 points or fewer in each of their last four games. But all of a sudden, Youngstown State has done a good job of locking down as well. They give it up 72 points or fewer in regulation because they did play a triple overtime game against Wright State that just became a completed utter calamity. But in regulation, 72 points or fewer surrendered in six out of their last seven games. So did set my total a little bit lower. Made my total 142 and a half. I'm going to be willing to take the under in this spot. And with Youngstown State, really make them a four and a half point underdog. I do think that they're going to be lively in this game, and I do like the way that they've been able to lock down on defense, get their good slow style. So looking at the under, and I'm going to be willing to take five and a half here with Robert Morris, 615, 616 on the betting board. Georgia Tech gets a road face off against Pittsburgh, and Pittsburgh is a favorite of 11 to 11 half points with your total between 137 half and 138. I did set Pittsburgh as a favorite of 13 points. I'm going to be willing to lay the number. It's a Pittsburgh squad that is your top cover eight team in all of college basketball. 19-7-1 against the spread, and for Georgia Tech, they have been giving you a good, honest effort, but just don't have a lot of scoring out this team. Miles Kelly's the only guy that gives you double figures with 12.8 points for contest. Is shooting about 35% from three-point range, and for Georgia Tech, they do the little things right. They only turn the ball over about 11.5 times per game, but also at Georgia Tech, they're not generating steals the way that they have in past years. They're currently 232nd in the country in terms of points allowed on a per-possession basis, and 
Not as if Pittsburgh has been some sort of a stalwart on defense themselves, but Pittsburgh currently clocking in more around 96th in the country. It turns points a lot on a per-possession basis, giving up 6.9 points fewer per 100 possessions at home rather than in a roadside shooter court environment. I will say for Georgia Tech, good balance scoring out of this team as you've been able to have so many guys like it, Dallin Coleman, Javon Franklin, Davion Smith, Jalen Moore, Lance Terry, all these guys between 8 and 9.7 points per game. Meanwhile, for Pittsburgh, your big two and Jamarius Burton along with Blake Henson, they've been able to combine for 31.2 points, 11 rebounds. Henson shoots 37% from three. As a six foot seven, little bit of a stretch player, you've got Craig Elliott shooting 42% from three with 11 points per game. Nellie Cummings along with Burton combined for nine assists to about 4.9 turnovers per game. It's not a Pittsburgh team that is necessarily going to go out there, generate a bunch of steals, but they are going to be able to execute their offensive sets. It's been a squad that has been allowing some points recently, giving up 75-plus in two out of their last three, but they've also given up 64 points or fewer in now three out of their last five games, so they've been able to show some defensive triumphs. As a matter of fact, they've allowed fewer than 70 points in now four out of their last six games. It's a Georgia Tech team that they're coming off of 79 points against Florida Tech. I think that it's very easy to cast that off to the side, but they've been able to get to at least 70 in each of their last three games. Defense has been able to play a little bit more lively, giving up 72 points or fear in each other last five. So it's a Georgia Tech team that has been able to give some good, solid efforts, but I just think that this is a really bad matchup. Both of these teams tried to be relatively versatile first time around. Pittsburgh was able to get it done 71-60, to while Georgia Tech shot 12 of 29 from three in that game. The problem was Georgia Tech only forced Pittsburgh into three turnovers. I think that Pittsburgh is a more wily team in this one. I think that they're going to do a better job of taking care of the ball, just being more conservative and being able to just do a nice job of being able to execute their sets. Georgia Tech in that game also won the rebound battle and they still lost by 11. So I don't think that they're going to be able to duplicate quite that sort of an effort. I do think the Pittsburgh going to be able to take over this game. Set Pittsburgh as a 13-point favorite. Going to be one to lay the number. You've got two relatively mid-tempo teams, but you got a Georgia Tech team that's not playing a lot of defense. And Pittsburgh has been one of the best in all of college basketball at being able to execute their offense. I did set my total at a 141. I do think that both of these teams could knock down plenty of threes like they did the first time around. Looking at the over, I'm going to lay up to 12 and a half with Pittsburgh, 617, 618 on the betting board. Virginia Tech is going to be playing us Miami. Miami is a one and a half to a two-point underdog with your total between 153 and 154. I did set Virginia Tech as a two and a half point favorite. I'm going to be one to lay one and a half to two with Virginia Tech. You've got good versatility with Virginia Tech as Grandpa Sile along Justin Mutz. These guys do it all with 30 points, right around 13 rebounds. Mutz, 4.8 assists. 1.6 steals per game, but Sile shoots 39% from three-point range. Sean Padula does a good job dishing out the ball with four assists, 15 points. Hunter Couture has been able to shoot 43% from three when Virginia Tech was really in their rut. A lot of it was with Hunter Couture out of the full, getting him back has been incredible. And for Miami, the offense has been amazing for this team. Miami has gotten to at least 78 points, and now each out of their last six games, Defense leaving a lot to be desired. Miami is outside of the top 135 in terms of points allowed on a per-possession basis. Not like Virginia Tech is doing some amazing job on defense themselves as Virginia Tech clocks in at 176th in the country. It turns points allowed on a per-possession basis, but giving up 9.4 points fewer 
per 100 possessions at home rather than in a roadside shoot court environment. And neither of these teams are up-tempo. Miami about 152nd in the country in terms of total possessions. Brain Virginia Tech more on 243rd. And for Virginia Tech, what I think is going to be very key for them is just being able to match up with no Chad Omir, who has been able to supply for Miami 14 points, 9.8 rebounds per game. We all know about the backcourt of Miami. You've got Isaiah Wong, Jordan Miller combining for 31.4 points, a little bit over 10 rebounds, 6 assists. Both of these guys shoot above from three as you've got Miller shooting 35% from three, Wong 38% from the outside, and Nigel Pack, he packs it in. Two and a half assists, 13 and a half points. Shoots 42% from three-point range, but I do think that Virginia Tech going to be able to operate a little bit better with their overall versatility. Both of these teams have been... Well, leaving something to be desired on defense, Virginia Tech has given up at least 70 points themselves in each of the last four games. But I do think that it's just going to be tough to be able to get it over here with the sheer amount of possessions that you get last time around. It was an 92-83 to game. Both teams shot above 56.5% from the floor. Both teams shot above 41% from three-point range. I do think that the scoring is going to be a little bit more team in this one. I did set my total at a 148.5. I do think that you get good execution, but that last game was amazing execution. I don't think it's going to be able to quite match that, and that'll cause for a little bit of a lower scoring game with Virginia Tech being able to do a better job with their overall versatility. So Virginia Tech is a 2.5 point favorite. Want to lay the small number and take a look at this total under 619, 620 on the betting board. Richmond plays us to St. Louis. St. Louis is between a one-point underdog to a pick'em, and your total on this game it is between 143 and a half and 144. And I made St. Louis a two-point favorite, so won't take St. Louis as a pick'em slash a money line underdog for St. Louis. Certainly, they've been having their warts on defense. They are outside the top 160 in terms of points allowed on a per-possession basis. But what you also have with the St. Louis team is the top facilitator out there on the floor, and that would be Yuri Collins. 9.9 assists per contest, 11.5 points. He's now shooting 37% from three-point range as well. And then pretty much a designated three-point shooter in Gibson Jimerson be able to take the load off of him. He gives you 14 points. He's shooting right in the neighborhood about 36 to 37% from three-point range. And then... Javante Perkins, Javon Pickett, these two guys combined for about 21.5 points per game. You're hoping for a little bit more rebounding out of some of these guys over at St. Louis, though, because really the only guy on the roster that gives you north of 4.6 rebounds per game, Francis Okoro, who's been able to give you 8.7 boards, 1.5 blocks per game for St. Louis team that anyway, turned the ball for 12 times per game while being a relatively mid-tempo team. She's 35% from three. Richmond, meanwhile, this team is looking to play nice, low and slow. They're in the bottom 80 in terms of total possessions per game. It is a Richmond team that take a look at them in terms of their defense, and it's been very much up and down all season long. They're down to about 150th in the country in terms of points allowed on a per-possession basis on a relatively bad slide with that defense as it's a squad that has now given up at least 70 points in two out of their last three games, and they've given up at least 68 points in each other last three. For a Richmond team that plays that slowly, it's just something that you can't have, and your top score in terms of backcourt Jason Nelson, 8 points per game. You do have Jason Roche, who's able to shoot about 39.5% from 3, 95% free line, 7 points per game. But Richmond has just had to rely a little bit too much on their fours. Isaac Bigelow does give you 6 boards per game. Tyler Burton, good versatility out of him. Seal and a half, 19 points, 7.5 rebounds, but you know, he shoots about 29.5% from 3. Richmond as a whole, they shoot 33.5% from the outside. And for St. Louis, offense has been able to get a cooking, 76 plus points in 3 other last 4 games. And the defense 
defense. I'm not going to say that it's great by any stretch of the imagination, but 71 points or fewer surrendered, and now three out of their last four games. They've been able to turn a little bit of a corner. I just don't think that Richmond is going to be able to hold up their end of the bargain in terms of scoring just because they really don't have anyone to be able to supply points. You've got a good forward stable, but with that said, the backcourt is very much lacking, and I think that that's going to prove to be doomsday in this matchup. I set my total at 140. I'm going to be one to dive under, and for St. Louis, did set them as a two-point favorite, so taking St. Louis as a pick-em slash a very slight underdog on the money line and taking a look at this total under 621-622 on the banking board. Missouri plays us in Mississippi State. Mississippi State, a 3-4 to a four point underdog with your total between 138.5 and 139. And for Mississippi State, they were able to do it to Missouri once before. And I do think that they are going to be able to duplicate the feat. I did set Missouri as a favorite of 1.5 points. I'm going to be willing to take them out right on the money line. We've just seen it with this Missouri team. Oftentimes when they play against teams that are looking to slow it down, they just cannot respond. They got swept by Texas A&M in that season series. They lost their first time around to Mississippi State, who really did what they wanted in that game. Mississippi State, when they played against Missouri the first time around, they were able to get the job done by a count of 62-53. to 53. And it's just a Missouri team that, in general, they need a little bit more rebounding. You've only got one guy in Kobe Brown that has been able to give you north of five rebounds per game now. They are one of the best teams at being able to generate turnovers there. Right around 10th in the country in terms of turnovers forced on a per-possession basis. But you've also got a Mississippi State team that they've done an amazing job of being able to force turnovers themselves. And for Mississippi State, they do a far better job on the glass with Tolu Smith being able to supply 15 points, 8.3 rebounds per game now. For Mississippi State, not a good shooting team. They shoot about 64% the free line, 28.2% from three-point range. But Deshaun Davis is able to give you three and a half assists, 1.7 seals, shoots 38% for three with his eight and a half points per game. DJ Jeffries, Shaquille Moore, they've been able to give you more with a combined 18 points per contest for Missouri. Good, well-balanced team. You've had Isaiah Mosley just be very confusingly out of the fold. It's been very strange to take a look at that, but Brown, who I mentioned before, 16 points, 6 boards, shoots 47.5% from 3-point range. You've got a bunch here with Missouri that does a good job of being able to facilitate by committee as Brown along with Nick Honors, Sean East the third. They all give between 2.7 and 2.8 assists per game. East and Honor have been able to combine for 3 steals per game, so they've done a good job there. Trago Million has been able to do a little bit of facilitation, though he's been quite injured, did return for the team's last game against Texas A&M, so that gives them another piece. But I do think that in a game where it's super-duper fast versus super-duper slow, Missouri in the top 35 in terms of total possessions per game, Mississippi State, the absolute opposite, a bottom team in terms of total possessions per game, and Missouri, a team that's in the top 20 in terms of points scored on a per-possession basis. Mississippi State, a top 10 team in terms of points allowed on a per-possession basis. I do default more from the defense just because of what we've seen out of Missouri games all season long. With Mississippi State, they travel really well. They're only giving up 1.9 points more per one hundred possessions when away from home than at home, and as a matter of fact, number two in the country in terms of points allowed on a per-possession basis when they are away from home, which is why I did set Mississippi State as a favorite in this spot. I made them a one-and-a-half point favorite one to take them on the money line as an underdog. And with this total, I did set it at a 137-half. I think that's going to be another slow, grimy game. I don't think that's quite 63-52 to 52 like we saw the first time around. You had Mississippi State go 3 of 20 from three-point range even there, I think. And shoot a little bit better in this one, but want to go under and one take Mississippi State on the money line as an underdog. 623, 624 on the betting board, Tennessee. It's a red face off against Texas AM. Texas AM is a favorite of two points with your total 129. 
This total was at 131 a little bit earlier, and if we can get back to a 131, I would be willing to go under, as I did set my personal number at a 129 as well. So in a little bit of wait and see mode, and right now there have been a few books that have been a bit skittish to put up a number for this game as I record this podcast, because you do have question marks with Josiah Jordan James along Jordan Phillips for Tennessee, and I do think that that makes a little bit of an impact. I personally think that you get one of the two guys to go out there, and as a result, I did set Tennessee as a favorite of three points. I'm going to be willing to take them on the money line as an underdog. Heck, even if you have both guys out of the fold, I'd be willing to still bet set Tennessee more as like a one or so point favorite, so I would still be on Tennessee regardless of if you have both of those guys out or just one of those guys out as for Tennessee. If you include everyone in the fold, you've got just so much team rebounding as you've got, as a matter of fact, a grand total of six different guys. They could be at least 3.9 rebounds per game. We know that Santiago Vescovi along with Zakai Ziegler are going to be in the fold as Ziegler is your main facilitator, right around five and a half assists, 11 points per game. Vescovi, he shoots 36% from three, chips in there, two and a half assists, 12 and a half points per game. And Olivier Kamwa, good Swiss Army knife guy, 10 and a half points, right around two assists per game. And it is a Tennessee team that even with these guys out of the fold, They've still been supreme with their defense all season long. As a matter of fact, turns points a lot on a per possession basis. Number one team in all of college basketball. Number one team in terms of points a lot on a per possession basis in a roadside search court environment as well. Did set my total a little bit higher in this spot just because you do have a pair of teams that I'm not going to call them slugs. Now, neither of these teams are playing super duper up tempo. You've got a Tennessee team that is right around 247th in terms of total possessions per game when it comes to Texas A&M, right around 245th. And for Texas A&M, they've been able to lock it down a little bit more with their defense as well, giving up 68 points or fewer, and now 11 out of their last 14 games, but it is a Texas A&M team that they're more around 67th in the country in terms of points allowed on a per-possession basis, playing significantly better at home with 13 points per one hour possessions, fewer surrendered at home rather than on the road, and they're sort of like a different version of Tennessee in that they've got a lot of team rebounding as well. You've got five different guys that can be between 4.3 and 4.9 rebounds per game. You've got that one headline scored, Wade Taylor, that's able to give you 15.5 points, 4.2 assists, shoots 37.5% from three. Texas A&M shoots 33% from three points. Tennessee just a hair above that. Both of these teams turn the ball over right around 12 to 12 and a half times per game. So very much mirror images of each other, though. I do like for AM, the fact that you've got three different guys, Henry Coleman, Dexter Dennis, Tyrese Radford. They all combine to be able to do a solid job, being able to give you about 16.8 rebounds per game. Radford, 13 and a half points, shooting about 35% from three-par inch. But I think that Tennessee just executes that defensive style a little bit better, even with the elements. I do think that they should be able to get by in this ordeal. Tennessee did have that not-so-great performance against Missouri, but they've only allowed north of 70 points three times all season long. Texas A&M, they've been able to do a solid job with their offense, getting to at least 69 points from far out of their last five games. So with injuries and everything taken into account, I've got Tennessee currently as a three-point favorite. We'll take them on the money line as an underdog, even if both Phillips and Josiah Jordan James are out. I will still be on Tennessee and did set my total at a 129. So if we get back to like a 130, diving under, and we'll take Tennessee on the money line. 625-626 on the betting board. Western Michigan hits the road to face off against Eastern Michigan. Eastern Michigan is a three to three and a half point favorite with your total between 153 and 153 and a half. I said Eastern Michigan out of three. I think that both of these teams, uh, neutral card, are very equal. So being able to get three and a half with Western Michigan, I'm going to be willing to take those points. Both of these teams are in the bottom 25 in the country. It turns points a lot on a per possession basis. The only real difference is that you've got one team that's playing relatively quickly and you've got one team that's playing relatively slowly. Western Michigan about 250th in the country. 
In terms of total possessions, Brain, Eastern Michigan, more on 53rd. And both of these teams have one main headline score. Lamar Norman Jr. is at for Western Michigan, 17.5 points. She's about 34% from three-point range. Meanwhile, Eastern Michigan, we all know what Imani Bates is able to do. 20 points, 5.8 boards. She's in the mid-30s from three-point range. But Bates has been a little bit more cool recently. He's given the team a combined about 42 points in the last three games. I will say he's had a double-figure amount of rebounds in two out of those three games. A combined five blocks in those games, and they've needed it because he's the only guy in the roster that gives you a north of 4.8 rebounds per game. Meanwhile, Marquise Hastings, he's been able to give Western Michigan 9.8 rebounds per game. You've got Titus Wright, who's been able to give the team about 9 points, 5 boards. He does a good job down low, and then Trey Maddox has stepped up a little bit more for this Western Michigan team. Was banged up towards the middle of conference play, but now he's been able to give the team a combined 32 points, a pair of steals in the last two games as well. So I like the way that he's emerging for a Western Michigan team that needs to take care of the ball a bit better. 13 turnovers a game. Eastern Michigan more on 12 turnovers a game, but Eastern Michigan completely outgunned on glass. You do have Noah Farrakhan, Tyson Acuff, will be able to combine for about 26.7 points per game, but Farrakhan shoots 25% for three. Acuff more on 33% from the outside. Both of these teams very clear awards. Both of these teams terrible with their defense, but both of these teams also a little bit testy with their offense, really relying upon one guy for Eastern Michigan. 63 points are fewer in each out. Their last three games, Western Michigan has been able to get past the 75-point plateau in three of their last five, but also 60 points are fewer in two of their last three as well. So it's a good old situation of something's got to give. I do think that the tempo going to be a little bit more slowed down in this game, so I did set my total at a 147 first time around. Western Michigan won by a count of 85-79 to 79 in a game to where you had both teams shooting right around 46% from the floor. It was a relatively sloppy game where you had just a bunch of free throws causing that game to go over. I do think that the whistle is going to be put away a little bit more in this one, so one that I have under with Eastern Michigan. I do think that they get revenge, but I only made them a three-point favorite, so willing to take three and a half with Western Michigan to go along with that under. 627-628 on the bang board. Akron, it's a road to face off against Toledo. Toledo is a three and a half to a four-point favorite. Your total is between 148 and a half and 149 and a half. Such an interesting situation with Toledo. They are a top three team in the country in terms of points scored on a per possession basis. And the last time they played against Akron, it was 84 to 74. They went 9 of 18 from 3. They shot 52% from the floor. Akron was able to slow them down. Akron is a team that is one of the slower teams in all of college basketball, and especially for this conference where you've got a lot of up-tempo teams. Akron still maintains their style. They're right around 250th in terms of total possessions per game. Akron, 68th in the country in terms of points allowed on a per-possession basis. Salido, they're in the top 40 in terms of total possessions, and they aren't playing a lot of defense. They're in 85th in the country in terms of points allowed on a per-possession basis. And I do think that Akron going to get this game to their fancy a little bit more, but I do think that this is overall a bad matchup for Akron. I did set Toledo as a four and a half point favorite because with Akron, it's a very top heavy team. You've got Xavier Casaneda, who's been able to give you 22 points. She's 41% from three. And then Enrique Freeman, a double-double machine. 1.2 blocks, 15.8 points, 11.2 rebounds per game. But for Toledo, Cedric Milner Jr. along JT Shulmate, both of these guys have size. Both of these guys shoot the three and they combine for 11 rebounds to go along with 32.5 points per game. Wall combine and shoot 40% from three-point range. Darius Maddox Jr. has been able to give you about 11.5 points. He shoots 45% from three. Ray J. Dennis, 5.8 assists to two turnovers per game. And for Toledo, they play at their rapid pace, and yet they only turn the ball over 10 times for contest. That is a top five mark in terms of fewest turnovers on a per-possession basis. It is an Akron team that they just need to get a little bit more out of some of their more ancillary pieces, like a Sammy Hunter or Greg Tribble, both of these guys. 
give you about six to seven points per contest. Akron as a whole, they shoot 35.5% from three. And the 11.3 turnover screen, not too shabby there. But I do think that Toledo is going to be able to do a rock-solid job in this game. And I do think that they're going to be one to play the tempo of Akron once again. I mean, it's an Akron team that has been able to do a solid job with their defense. They have given up 66 points or fewer in three of their last five games despite playing up-tempo teams. And for Toledo, it doesn't sound like much, but they've given up 74 points or fewer in now four of their last five games while being able to get to 84-plus in four of their last five. I do think that the scoring is going to be down a little bit from game number one for Toledo. I don't think they shoot as well as they did in game number one, but I still think that Toledo controls things on glass in a little bit more of a button-up game. I think that Toledo gives you the same results and gets the job done. I said Toledo as a four and a half point favorite. I'm willing to lay three and a half to four with them. I did set my total 148.5, so here at 149.5, diving under and willing to lay the number with Toledo, 629, 630 on the betting board ball state. But he's also Kent State. Kent State is a favorite of three to three and a half points with your total between 140.5 and 141. Did set my total 136.5. I'm going to be willing to dive under. It's a ball state team that is right around 200th in the country in terms of both points allowed on a per possession basis and total possessions per game. Kent State, not necessarily a slow team, but they are just absolutely lights out with their defense. It's a Kent State team that makes about 120th in the country in terms of total possessions per game, but for Kent State, top 20 team in terms of turnovers forced on a per possession basis, a top 25 team in terms of points allowed on a per possession basis, and Kent State is just completely locking teams up. In their five games here this month, they've allowed 67 points or fewer in every one of them, and it is a Kent State team that has allowed two teams to exceed the 70-point plateau this calendar year. With Kent State, you don't have necessarily a ton of three-point shooting. They shoot as a whole about 33% from three, but their top two scorers, Malik Jacobs, Sincere Carey, who combined for about 28.5 points, 8.5 boards. You get Carey going for five assists, 3.5 uh, Jacobs. And Jacobs is three steals per game. That's a top three mark among all qualifying players in all of college basketball. They both shoot below 30% from three. You do have a pair of guys in Giovanni Santiago and Jalen Solinger. They combined to shoot 40% from three with 16 points per game. And you had Silron Hornbeek, Jacobs, along with... Also, Myron Thomas giving you between five and five and a half rebounds per game. Peyton Sparks should be able to do a solid job on that front for Ball State. Eight and a half rebounds per game. I do think that that is what is going to keep Ball State lively in this game. Ball State also does a very solid job of being able to bomb it from three-point range. As you've got Jalen Sellers shooting 48.5% from three-point range. 13 and a half points per game. Jerron Coleman, 15 points, five boards, steal and a half per contest. Shooting 37.5%. From three bar range, good versatility with six foot seven Mikey Pearson shooting about 35% from three, seven and a half points, five and a half rebounds per game. I think that Ball State is going to be able to win the battle on the glass. I do think that Ball State is going to lose a turnover battle. First time around, it was a 86 to 65 game in which Kent State was able to win. Ball State was locked down, shooting 36.5% from four. Kent State in that game shot nine to 21 from three, and Ball State lost a turnover battle 15 to seven. I think that Ball State loses a turnover battle once again, but I think that they win the rebound battle. I think that they shoot a little bit more respectably, and I don't think the Kent State, once again, goes 9-21 of from three-point range. I think that things are going to iron out a little bit more from time number one. I do think that it's going to be a little bit more of a defense-oriented battle and a lower possession game, so semi-total at a 136 half. I'm willing to dive under in this spot, but with Kent State, I do think that they get the win once again, but I think that it's going to be a very nip-and-tuck one, maybe two possession game. Semi-number at two and a half with Kent State. So we'll take three plus here with Ball State, and I'm going to be taking a look at the under. going to be the DK Nation pick, 631, 632 on the board. It is Kansas State. They play as a Baylor. Baylor is a one to one and a half point favorite. Your total is between 145 and a half and 146 and a half. 
My DK Nation write-up is going to be on Kansas State. I like them outright on the money line. Depending upon what time this gets published, it'll either be money line or the very, very small one to one and a half points. But either way, I like Kansas State to win this game outright. That is just putting it in simple layman's terms. But what I do like about Kansas State in this spot is that they just play so much better with their defense when they're at home rather than in a roadside shooter court environment. It's a Kansas State team that allows 21.4 points fewer per one hour possessions when they're at home rather than in a roadside shooter court environment. And they're going to have two very good headline scores in this game in Keontae Johnson along with Marquis Noel, who I think are going to be able to dominate the game. They combine 34.3 points. You've got Johnson give you 7.5 boards on 40% three-point shooting. Noel, 7.5 assists, 2.3 steals per game. He shoots 35% for three. As a whole, Kansas State is a team that ranks in the top three nationally in terms of turnovers force on a per-possession basis at home. And they go up against a Baylor team that they're okay controlling the ball right around 12 turnovers per contest. You've had Keontae George be very versatile. He and Adam Flagler combined for 32.5 points, 8 assists between the two of them. Both give you a little bit over a seal per contest. And I've noticed that Baylor has been throttling down their tempo a little bit more ever since early January. Baylor has been playing really since the first time that these two teams played where both teams got to 90. Kansas State won that game in overtime by two points. But ever since that game, we have seen Baylor really playing at a rate of about five to six possessions per game. Fewer so. They have been slowing down a little bit more. They get back Jonathan Chamochachua. He's been able to give the team six points on 44% three-point shooting. Helps out the team with 4.8 rebounds per game, which is big because Jalen Bridges, right now the lone guy on the roster that gives you north of five and a half rebounds per game, but that now gives the team four separate guys that do give you at least four and a half rebounds per game. And LJ Cryer is a big key for this team. This Baylor team got up by a double-figure amount of points against Kansas on Saturday. But once LJ Cryer stopped scoring, the team stopped scoring. Meanwhile, for Kansas State, you've got some good versatility outside of your big two as Desi Sills has been able to chip in there. Eight and a half points per game. I do like David and Gunson has been able to do as well. He's been a little bit banged up, but should be back in the fold for this game as he overall for the season. I shot over 50% for three as a six foot nine combo player. He's able to give you six and a half points, four boards per game. I think him coming back is very, very big. It is a Baylor team has been able to do a better job with their defense recently. 72 points of fierce surrender in four of their last five games. Meanwhile, for Kansas State, they've allowed 71 or fewer in four of their last five as well. So I do think that this is going to be a much more controlled game than we saw time number one. And also in time number one, Kansas State won the game despite the fact that Baylor shot 17 more free throws in Kansas State. Kansas State actually attempts more free throws on a per field goal attempt basis than Baylor, and that should iron out here at home. And I do think that Kansas State is going to be able to utilize that to their advantage. I did set my total at 144. I'm going to be one to dive under. DK Nation right up. That is going to be on Kansas. I like them outright on the money line. 633, 634 on the betting board. It's also a place close to East Carolina. East Carolina is a one to one and a half point favorite. And your total, it is between 144 and 145. Oh boy, it's a Tulsa team that they have just not been able to cover all season long for Tulsa. They have gotten three covers all season and every single other team in college basketball has at least five covers. As a matter of fact, they might have six covers. I mean, it's been no good, very bad, and sad. And if it's not going to happen here for Tulsa, it might not happen at all. I am a schmuck. I said Tulsa as a one and a half point favorite because I do think that they're going to be able to do a solid job of matching up with Brandon Johnson, who's your main guy for East Carolina, which Javon Small was averaging right around 15.5 assists per game. Being out of the fold, Johnson has had to become Mr. Do-It-All at 6'8". 
Supplies 13 points, 8.3 boards, 2 assists, shoots 35% from 3 point range, and has really been able to do a solid job of giving the team some blocks as well. 5 blocks in the last 3 games. Meanwhile, you've got Brian Sellerbongu, who comes in from the country of Canada, a little bit over 9 boards, 12.5 points per game, and Tim Dolger helps him out with a little bit over 5 rebounds per game. Both of these teams have left something to be desired on defense, also even more so. Then East Carolina, Tulsa, in terms of points allowed on a per-possession basis. They are down to 347th, though. They're allowing 9.8 points per 100 possessions fewer when they are at home rather than in a roadside church court environment. Eastern Carolina, they're 192nd with this regard, giving up 6 points more per 100 possessions when they're away from home as well. For Tulsa, just a bad slide with this defense. They have given up at least 75 points in every single one of their games this month. And for Tulsa... I mean, you take a look at this bunch, and they have allowed one opponent to uh, score fewer than 70 points pretty much this entire calendar year. So that's been no good, very bad, and sad the last time these two teams played. East Carolina got it done by a count of 76-66 on their own floor. In that game, East Carolina shot 50% from the floor. Lost the turnover battle by a count of 11-9, but won that rebound battle 40-23. to I don't think that that's going to be able to duplicate itself. You did have, in that game, R.J. Felton go 10-17 of 17 from the floor. He overall for the season, 13.5 points per game for East Carolina. I do think that, that is going to iron out. I do think that Sam Griffin going to be able to give a good performance here for Tulsa as well. He's been able to supply 15 points per game, and then you've got Brandon Benson shooting 44% from the outside, 9.5 points per game. I think he's going to be very big. Anthony Pritchard being out of the fold has hurt the team's facilitation a little bit, but Griffin along with Benson combining for 4.5 assists per game going to do just enough to get revenge on an East Carolina team that they themselves are very shorthanded in this spot. I don't think that you're going to be seeing a whole bunch load of defense but at the same time these are a pair of untrustworthy offenses that are deal with ailments as well so good old situation if something's got to give I set my total at a 144 and a half between 144 and 145 I would rather have the 144 over due to the fact that in American conference play over 60% of games within the conference have gone over. You've got a Tulsa team that does rank in the top 100 in terms of total possessions per game. East Carolina, very much a mid-tempo team. They're right around 183rd in the country in terms of total possessions per game. But looking at the 144 over, I think Tulsa rises up. They get a W in this spot. Set this Tulsa team. It's one half point favor, taking them as a pick slash a very slight money line underdog. And I'm going to be taking a look at 144 over. 635, 636 on the betting board. It is Creighton. They play us to Marquette. Marquette is an underdog of five and a half points with your total between 147 and a half and 148. And with Marquette, I set them as a six and a half point underdog. I'm going to be one to lay the number. This is a little bit of a revenge spot from the beginning part of the season in which Creighton, without having their main big man and Ryan Kalkbrenner, lost when they went to Milwaukee. And now that Ryan Kalkbrenner is back at the full, this Creighton team has been back in full force. As with Kalkbrenner back, it is a Creighton team that has lost just two games straight up. They have allowed fewer than 70 points in all but two of these games as well. They've done a great job of being locked down. Meanwhile, you've got a Marquette team that they play really good positionless basketball, but they've only got one guy that gives you north of 4.7 rebounds per game. Also, Ogadero, who's been able to give the team 11.7 points, 6 rebounds, 3.5 assists per game, love his versatility, and then Tyler Kolek gives you 7.5 assists, shoots 38% for 3. For a Marquette team that overall shoots 35% from the outside, it is a Creighton team in which their numbers are a little bit warped by the fact that they were without Ryan Kalkbrenner in the month of December for a lot of it. So as a result, it's a great team that's not showing up in the 25 in terms of like points scored, points allowed on a per possession basis, a lot of those metrics. But with them in the fold, this has really been a top 25 team in so many different respects. And it is a great team that's been able to do a much better job when they have been at home rather than in a roadside shoot record environment as 
They are allowing 9.8 points fewer per one hour possessions at home. And this is a Marquette team that, even though the defense has been a little bit testy throughout the season, they've been able to do a much better job recently as they have now allowed 68 points or fewer in three out of their five games thus far this month. And if you're taking a look overall, it's a team that has held five out of their last seven opponents to fewer than 70 points. Creighton should be able to win this game down low, though, because you do have Ryan Kalkbrenner being able to give you seven boards, 15 points per game, and big for the team, Ryan Emmert, the way that he does out the ball. Five assists to 1.9 turnovers per game. He gives you 12 points per game, shoots 35% from three. Baylor Shireman shoots 37% from the outside, 13 points per game. He chips in there, eight rebounds, and then Trey Alexander. He's able to shoot 41% from three, 13 half points per game. Creighton, not a lot of depth. You've got a Marquette team that does have quite a bit of depth. With guys like Cam Jones, David Joplin, all being able to give you double figures, all being able to shoot it well from three-point range. But I do think that in the end, Creighton is going to be able to control the boards in this game, though I do think that this is going to be a little bit of a higher scoring game. I set my total at a 148.5. Marquette plays that one of the faster tempos that you're going to find in all of college basketball. It's a Creighton team that they've been able to fire on all cylinders on offense as well. Marquette, as a matter of fact, they're right around 74th in the country in terms of total possessions per game. And I do think that this is going to be close enough to where you do get some late game filling. I set my number at a six and a half. So you find Marquette down like six, seven points with a minute remaining. That leads to late game felling. So I'm going to be one to go over in this spot. And with Creighton, I am going to be one to lay up to six with them. 637, 638 on the betting board. Air Force plays those to Fresno State. Fresno State is a two to two and a half point underdog with your total 125. And I did set my total 124 and a half here at 125. It's my minimum buy point on the under, but going to be willing to go under and with Air Force didn't make them a two and a half point favorite I'm going to be willing to lay the two. With Fresno State I do like what I've been seeing as long as Eduardo Andre 3000 has been out there on the floor and every Andre gets called Andre 3000 on this show slash podcast but that said for Fresno State every time they trot him out there it feels like he's given the team eight plus rebounds per game. They've been dealing with an injury to Isaiah Moore who has been able to average for the year about 11.5 points 7.3 rebounds per game but it feels like Andre just gives them some very good rough and tumble down though which is part of the reason why I do like this total under as well. In the last four games of which Eduardo Andre has played at least 25 minutes, the team has allowed north of 70 points just once. As a matter of fact they've allowed north of 62 points just once. Meanwhile when he's been playing fewer than that in the last three games in which he played fewer than 20 minutes, they've allowed 70 plus. So I think that his metrics are very very interesting to take a look at. Andre has been able to give you 8 plus rebounds in four straight games, filling in for Hill. Meanwhile, you've got an Air Force team that is probably going to lose the battle a little bit down low. Ryan Petratus is the only guy in the roster that really gives you north of four rebounds per game, has been able to contribute about nine points, a little bit over five rebounds per game, but you just have good overall shooting with Air Force for one and for two Air Force playing at elevation. I do think that that is going to be getting to Fresno State in the spot. A pair of teams that they're looking to play slow. Both of these teams are in the bottom 20 nationally in terms of total possessions per game. Fresno State, they're the worst shooting team in this spot, though. They shoot 29% per three. They did shoot about 75% at the free throw line, and you've had Isaiah Hill along Jamarrell Baker come on a little bit more strong as Hill 3.5 assists, 1.8 points per game. Baker 1.3 points, 2.5 assists per contest, but guys like Donovan Yap, Jordan Campbell only giving you like 6, 7 points per game. That's been 
relatively rough. Meanwhile, you've got an Air Force team that does have Jake Heidbretter. He's going to be the best scoring guard in this game. 15 points per contest. Shoots 38.5% from three-point range. You've been able to get 3.3 assists, 3.5 rebounds, 8 points per contest out of Ethan Taylor, who shoots 41% from three-point range. You get 40% three-point shooting out of Camden Vanderswag as well. A pair of teams that, in terms of their defense, leaving a little bit of something to be desired. Air Force especially, 238th in the country in terms of points a lot on a per-possession basis. Fresno State hovering more in that neighborhood, about 160th or so, but Fresno State does allow about 10.7 points more per 100 possessions when they leave their home court environment. You've had Corbin Green fall off a little bit with his production at Air Force in terms of just scoring and darn near everything as he's been a little bit banged up, but it is an Air Force offense. All of a sudden, has been able to get to at least 65 points in each other last three games. Yeah, a Fresno State team that, while their defense has been much more fortified, their offense has now scored 66 points of fear in each other last three, so I think that this is going to be a slow control game, and I do think that at elevation, Air Force going to be able to do just enough to get the job done. I said Air Force has a two and a half point favorite. One like two and absolutely nothing more. So my total 124 and a half. So here at 125 or higher, looking at the under, and I'm willing to lay the deuce with Air Force. 639, 640 on the betting board. Wyoming plays us to Utah State. Utah State is a five to five and a half point favorite with your total between 145 and 146. And with Wyoming, I did set them as an underdog of seven points. I'm going to be one to lay with Utah State. You got to give some credit to Wyoming. They kick off the three Pac-12 guys that they brought in by the transfer portal during the offseason, and they go to New Mexico last week, and they get a win. This is just a different animal with Utah State, a top-five team in terms of three-point shooting percentage. Now, it is a Utah State team that's leaving something to be desired with their defense, 167th in the country in terms of points allowed on a per-possession basis, but giving up 7.1 points per one in possessions fewer at home rather than in a roadside shoot record environment. But for Wyoming, a dreadful 306th in the country in terms of points allowed on a per-possession basis in Wyoming. Not going to be a matchup down low. Among your top five scores for Utah State, four of them give you at least four and a half rebounds per game, including Max Scholuga along with Sean Berso. These three guys are able to combine for about 23.7 points. Berso shoots 43.8% for three. Mr. Scholuga is able to give you four assists. Shoots 36.5% from distance. Daniel Aiken, Taylor Funk, they bring the Funk with a combined 12 and a half rebounds, 25 and a half points, and Funk at right around six for nine, shoots 37 and a half percent from three, and Steve Ashworth, four and a half assists, 45 and a half percent three point shooting, 16 points per game. Wyoming, they need to try to match up with Hunter Maldonado, who's been rock solid, 14 and a half points, 3.8 assists, shoots 35 percent from three, but his main running mate, Noah Reynolds, he is done for the season. You've got one guy in Hunter Thompson that's able to give you about 5.1 rebounds per game. He's been getting back to his normal form, Philip, five plus rebounds, and now three of the last four games, but you know, really don't have a lot of help around him. They've dealt with injuries to Brandon Wenzel. He's back in the fold. He's been able to give the team seven plus points in each of the last four games and does shoot 40% from three, but I mean, it's a Wyoming team at his whole. They shoot about 35% from the outside. They've been very touch and go in terms of their offense as well. To their credit, they've been able to get to at least 69 points in each other last two games, but defense has been very much hot and cold as well against New Mexico. They give up 56 points in that one, but really past that triumph, they've allowed 69 points or more in every game here in the month of February, and you just take a look at this Utah State team, the way that they've been carving teams up from beyond the arc, and the way that they've given up 70 points of fear in each other the last four games. I do think that they're going to be able to just eat this Wyoming team alive. Last time these two teams played, Utah State was able to win by a count of 83-63, to 63, and that was with Wyoming going 6-13 of 13 from three-point range, and actually having more players healthy in that game. Going to elevation is relatively tough, but Utah State 
is a team that they play in a little bit of a funky environment as well. I think that they're going to be up for it against a Wyoming team that is pretty much gutted to seven scholarship players. I did say Utah State as a seven-point favorite. I'm going to be willing to lay the number Wyoming. A bottom one team in terms of total possessions where Utah State, a little bit more of an up-tempo team. I do think that you're just going to have a case where Wyoming, not going to be able to hold up there under the bargain and being at elevation should slow this game down just a tad. Semi-total 145, diving under with Utah State. Want to lay up to six and a half with them. 641, 642 on the betting board. Michigan State plays us Indiana. Indiana's a two and a half to a three-point underdog with your total between 135 and a half and 136 and a half. Did semi-total 135. I'm going to be one to dive under. It is a Indiana bunch that certainly has been up and down with their defense to say the least. Overall for the season, they're hovering right in that pocket about 60th in the country. Turns points a lot under per possession basis going up against a Michigan State team that is in the bottom 80 in terms of total possessions per game. And Michigan State themselves certainly been hot and cold with regards to their, their defensive efficiency, but giving up 12.9 points per 100 possessions fewer at home rather than on the road. And that's just the hallmark of the Big Ten. The Big Ten always shows a very big home court advantages. And for Michigan State, they have allowed 61 points or fewer now three out of their last four games, but offense has been very suspect. They were able to get to 72 points in that game against Michigan State. That was the first time in really each of their last seven games in which they were able to get past the 70-point plateau. And as a matter of fact, the last time they had gotten past 70 points was on January 3rd. They had gotten a lot of 69s instead of 70 up on the board, but they hadn't gotten past 70 since then. So that's very interesting. Last time these two teams played, it was an 82-69 game. I don't think that that is going to be duplicating itself. Indiana in that game went 9 of 15 from three par range trees. Jackson Davis. He had 31 points, 15 rebounds, 5 blocks. I don't think he duplicates that sad line, but no doubt about it. Trace Jackson Davis is going to have himself a day down low. 20 half points, 11 half boards, 3 blocks. A right around 3.5 assists per game is what he's averaging. Jalen Ochefino, 12.5 points, 4 boards, 4 assists. He shoots 38% from 3 in Indiana. Has been able to shoot as a whole about 38% from the outside. Been very impressed by the way that Indiana has been able to play recently on defense. They're still leaving a little bit of something to be desired, but when you've got guys like Malik Renu and company, they're able to step up that's very helpful for this team. It is a bunch that they're allowing right around 12.7 points more per one arm possessions when they leave home. And they're going to be going up against a Michigan State team that certainly is going to be playing with heavy emotions. This is the first home game ever since that shooting. So you feel for everyone in the community that is involved with that. But Joy Elzer, 14.7 board, shoots 43% from three. Ty Walker, he's able to shoot 40% from the outside. Really the main shooting closer for this team. Two and a half assists, 13 and a half points per game. And then A.J. Hogard has been able to give you six assists per contest. It is a Michigan State team that only turns the ball over 11 times per game, but I just don't know how they're going to match up with Trace Jackson Davis. Jackson Davis was able to dominate the first time around, and I do think that he's going to be rock solid this time as well. Now, I do think that Michigan State can have a little bit more in the backcourt. I like what I've been seeing recently out of Jaden Aiken, someone that overall for the season, nine points, four boards per contest, but has done a great job being able to haul in there some rebounds, giving you about a steal per game. She's 38.5% from three against an Indiana backcourt that can be a little bit or miss. Miller Cop is able to shoot 40% from three-point range, but home and road, the team is not necessarily the same. I do think that Michigan State could be able to hold up on their home floor, but I think that this is going to be a tight one-possession game. I think that this is going to be very much more defense-oriented in a game where first two 70 points is going to be able to win. You've got an Indiana team that has allowed north of 70 
70 points just once in their last five games. And for that matter, Indiana has allowed 70 points or fewer in now nine out of their last seven games. So circumstance where I did set my total 135, I'm willing to dive under. Maybe Michigan State a two-point favorite. So you're at two and a half to three, taking the points with Indiana and looking at the under. 643, 644 on the betting board. Arkansas plays host of Georgia. Georgia is a 13 and a half to a 14-point underdog with your total between 142 and 143 and a half. Georgia got completely dump trucked their last time out against Alabama. Alabama was all sorts of PO'd, and that was not great to say the least. But that said, I do think that this number is a little bit too lofty. I'm going to be willing to take the points as I set my number more around 12. It is a uh, Arkansas team that they were really banking on Nick Smith being able to come back and give this team some good production. Guy just has not been able to stay out there on the floor. It's been a very sad state of affairs for him as just not terrific. He did play against Florida and he was able to give the team 32 minutes. He delivered 10 points, but he doesn't necessarily look like that McDonald's All-American right now and it's probably not going to look like that until at the very earliest the NCAA tournament. You do have Ricky Council IV along with Anthony Black who will be able to combine for 29.5 points. They give you 8.5 boards, 6.7 assists per contest, but neither of these guys shoot it well from three points. Arkansas as a whole, they're a bottom 40 team in terms of three-point shooting percentage and they don't really have a single guy in the roster that gives you north of six rebounds per game. Makai Mitchell is able to give you seven and a half points, six boards per game, and that's big for Georgia because they don't have a lot of rebounding. You get Jalen Bridges and Matthew Moncrief to be able to combine for about 10 rebounds per game. Scary Terry Roberts, Kerry Oquendo, they've been able to combine for about 27 points, seven boards. Both of these guys shoot sub 30% from three-point range, but Georgia, going into that game against Alabama, they were a top 40 team in terms of opponent's three-point shooting percentage in all of college basketball. I do think that they're going to be able to rebound a little bit more in this game. It's a Georgia team that they've been able to weasel their way to 70 points and now essentially 12 out of their last 16 games even though they're a team outside the top 125 in terms of points scored on a per possession basis. It is an Arkansas team that they themselves have been all over the place with their offense. 65 points or fear scored in three out of their last five games and Arkansas has really throttled down. They were one of the quickest teams in all of college basketball to begin the season. Arkansas all the way down in terms of total possessions per game to right around 96th and it's a Georgia team that they themselves are not looking to play at too brisk of a tempo right around 100 60th in terms of total possessions per game, no doubt about it. The defensive efficiency numbers of Georgia were not helped out by their last game against Alabama, where Alabama just seemingly could not miss. Meanwhile, you've got a Arkansas team that very much is much better with their defense at home rather than on the road. As a matter of fact, they're allowing 17 points per one iron possession sphere at home than on the road is Arkansas as they rank 16th in the country. I do think that after getting completely dump truck, Georgia is in a nice little bit of a buy low spot. I do think that Georgia is going to be able to find a way to weasel their way close to 70. I don't think that they get to 70, but I do think that they're going to be able to get a little bit of something going on the outside. They're not going to get decimated on the glass. That'll keep them within arm's reach in this game. I did set my total out of 144. I'm willing to go over in this spot. And with Arkansas, made them a 12-point favorite, so we'll take the 13 after. 14 to go along with that over 645, 646 on the betting board. Oklahoma plays us to Texas Tech. Texas Tech is a two to two and a half point underdog with your total between 137 and a half and 138. And with Texas Tech, I did set them as an underdog of two points. I'm going to be one to take the two and a half. I'm seeing a one and a half out there. And honestly, I would rather lay the one and a half rather than take the two and a half. But I'm only seeing one very, very straight one and a half. So I will let this marinate. But that said, if I had a choice, I would lay the one and a half. We're right now seeing much more widely available the two and a half, though. So, do you want to throw in there that disclaimer? But that's it. When I take a look at this Texas Tech team, I do elevate them a little bit more with getting back Fardos Amek. Fardos Amek 
was really good at Utah Valley. A guy that was able to shoot north of 40% from three-point range. He was averaging nearly 13 rebounds, 15-plus points per game. He's been back on the floor for now officially six games for the season, but it was sort of split up. He's been back for three games here in the month of February in his last two games. A combined 20 rebounds and 26 points per game. This guy can be a little bit of a game wrecker and really allow this Texas Tech team to be able to control things on the board because you've also got a guy in Jalen Tyson who's able to give you 11 points, 6 boards, shoots 39.5% per three, Kevin O'Banner, 6'8 size, 6.5 rebounds, 14.5 points per game. They have a deal with an injury as well to Pop Isaacs, but he was able to get back out there on the floor against West Virginia. He had 15 points. Texas Tech is about as healthy as they have been all season long, and you've got Davion Harmon, who's also able to give you right around about a steal and a half, a little bit more than that per game, 13 and a half points per game. So you love what you're seeing there. They go up against an Oklahoma team that they much like Texas Tech have their turnover woes. Both of these teams average about 13 and a half to 14 turnovers per contest, but Oklahoma, the far slower team. Oklahoma in the bottom 80 in terms of total possessions per game. Meanwhile, Texas Tech, they play at a relatively moderate pace. They're about 100th or so in the country in terms of total possessions per game, closer to 110th. Grant Sherfield is able to be a takeover score, 17 points, 3.5 assists. She's 42.5% from three. You've been able to get about 6.5 to 7 points per game out of both. Milo's Uzan, along with Jacob Groves and both of these guys, shoot 35.8% from three. Good versatility there. Jalen L, Tanner Groves, they've been able to combine for about 12.5 rebounds per game as well, but Oklahoma has been relatively sloppy with their defense recently. As a matter of fact, they have given up at least 78 points so far their last five games, and it's been an offense that has not been able to get going. They have scored 65 points or fewer in six out of their last nine games. Meanwhile, you've got a Texas Tech team that has now given up 72 points or fewer in each out of their last four games. They've gotten to at least 70 in each out of their last three as well. Texas Tech seems to be ascending. I think that this is a little bit of a tricky spot. Going to Oklahoma, I do think that Oklahoma gets the win outright, but I think that it's very, very nip and tuck. Right now, most places have a two and a half, and at two and a half, that is my buy point on Texas Tech. I did set my number at two, so I'm going to be letting this marinate in the AM. Hopefully, we can get closer to a three. That would be nice, but would be willing to take the two and a half here with Texas Tech, and I did set my total at 135. I just don't think that you get enough possessions in this game to go over, and Texas Tech has been able to play some better defense. So, looking at the under and looking at Texas Tech getting two and a half points or more. 647 648 on the betting board. It is Texas. They play us. I would say Texas is back to being a seven and a half to an eight point favorite with your total between 136 and 135 and a half. Did sell my total at 136. That's pretty much what I'm seeing aside from a straight 135 and a half. Would be willing to go under in this spot. And with Texas, set them as a seven and a half point favorite. So here at eight, that is my buy point on Iowa State. Texas, we have noticed, has really been able to throttle up their tempo under Rodney Terry. They're now right around 50th in the country in terms of total possessions per game. Texas had a little bit of transitionary period with their defense, especially when they allowed north of 100 points in that game against Kansas State, but now they're back to about 43rd in the country in terms of points allowed on a per-possession basis, and they're going up against one of the most supreme defenses that you're going to find in all of college basketball in Iowa State. Iowa State, number one in the country in terms of turnovers forced on a per-possession basis, but this disclaimer needs to be thrown in there with this Iowa State defense. It is one that allows... 23.7 points more per one earned possessions when they're away from home than when they're at home. And you do have Serge Barry Rice, who is really firing out of cylinders for Texas. 12 points, three and a half boards, two assists per game is what he's averaging overall for the season. But you take a look at the way that this guy has been a cooking, and it has been absolutely tremendous. He has been able to give the team at least 12 points in six out of the last seven games. He chips in there a steal, good on-ball defender, and he and Marcus Carr are really your guys that light it up from the outside. Rice, she's 37.5% for three, 38.5% for Carr, who's able to give 
Maybe four assists, three rebounds, 17 points per contest. Flip side, though, for Iowa State, and now they're getting everyone healthy. I always say his name wrong, but Alan J. Kunich has been able to give you nine points, five boards, shoots 37% from three, and for Iowa State, among your top four scores, three of them do shoot at least 35.8% from three-point range. J. Ron Holmes has been able to give you 13.5 points, 3.2 assists per contest, each of your top four scores for Iowa State, and five of your top six. I'll give you at least a CO per game, but the guy that really leaps out to me is Temen Lipsby. Lipsby has been able to do a solid job for Iowa State. Seven half points, 4.8 assists, two steals per game. Really just a good glue guy for this team. Iowa State, they're going to be looking to slow this game down a little bit more. They're a bit more of a low and slow team, while Texas has been the exact opposite this year with Iowa State 263rd in the country in terms of total possessions per game. I don't think that this is necessarily going to be exactly like it was when these two teams hooked up a little bit earlier this year. That was a 78-67 to win that Iowa State got done on their home floor. They went 9-24 to from three-point range. You had Iowa State win the eternal battle 13-7. to I do think that it's going to be a little bit more sloppy in this game, though. I do think that Iowa State is going to be able to do a solid job on the glass. One thing that Texas really doesn't have is the free rebounding. You've been able to get Dylan Mitchell 4.5 rebounds per game. You've got Timmy Allen. Nice Swiss Army knife guy. 11 points, 5.5 boards, 3.5 assists per contest. But these are the only two guys on the roster that really give you north of 3.5 rebounds per game. So I do think that Oshun, Oshuni is going to be able to do a solid job down low. That keeps Iowa State lively in this game. 7-8 number at 7.5. So willing to take a with Iowa State. Made my total 135 and a half. So we'll take the 136 under and we'll take eight plus here with Iowa State. 649, 650 on the betting board. Nevada plays us at San Jose State. San Jose State, an eight and a half to a nine point underdog with your total between 135 and a half and 136 and a half. So my total 133. I'm going to be willing to dive under. San Jose State has really been able to ascend, by the way. And well, the one thing that is not ascending with San Jose State is their tempo, as this is a bunch of out of your 363 D1 teams. San Jose State, in terms of total possessions per game, 354th. Meanwhile, you've got a Nevada team that they have really decided to play much more slowly, very much the opposite of what we had seen from Steve Alford in recent years at Nevada, 227th in the country in terms of total possessions per game. But both of these teams starting to lock it down with their defense. I did send Nevada, though, as a nine-point favorite because I do like the overall versatility that you get with this team. Now, the one thing that is strange about Nevada, they're allowing about the same amount of points per possessions when they are at home rather than in a roadside shoot record environment. They haven't seen much of a bump when they're at home with that regard, but you do have a San Jose State team that turns points a lot on a per possession basis. is 246th allowing about 12.5 points more per one arm possessions when they do leave their friendly confines. And for San Jose State, they're going to look to hold up on the glass. As you've got a trio of guys and Robert Viola throwing their Ibrima Diallo along Sage Tolbert the third. All three of these guys have been able to do a solid job combining for about 20.5 rebounds per game. Diallo, 6.5 points, 1.8 blocks per contest. Viola, about 8 points per game through low post presence. And Tolbert, he's able to shoot 38% from 3 with 8.5 points per game. But Amari Moore does give you more. 17 points. She's 34% from 3. 5 assists per game for, for Nevada. Jared Lucas is going to be the best scorer out there on the floor. 17.5 points. She's nearly 40% from 3-point range. Overall, Nevada shoots 35% from 3, but they just do the little things right. They shoot 79.7% the free throw line with 10.5 turnovers game. Both of those marks in the top 25 in all of college basketball. Will Baker has been able to give you about 5.3 rebounds, 14 points per game at 7 feet tall. He's able to pop a few threes. You've gotten Keenan Blackshear to just be Mr. Do-It-All. One and a half seals, four rebounds, 4.8 assists, 15 points per game. And then how about Darion Williams, the true freshman? 7.3 points, 7.3 rebounds. 
2.8 assists, seal and a half per game as a six foot six do-it-all player. I think that there's just too much versatility for this Nevada team. I do think that they're going to be able to do a nice job holding up at the point of attack on defenses. They have a lot of 66 points or fewer in three of their last five games. San Jose State in their last game gave up 96 points. Prior to that, they had given up 70 or fewer in their previous four games. I think that they just caught the wrath of New Mexico on the wrong night. Last time these two teams played, it was 67 to 40. I certainly think that San Jose State going to put up more than that 40 spot. They took 20 fewer field goal attempts than Nevada in that game, but I do think the Nevada who won that rebound battle 42-31. to They're going to be able to do something similar here. Nevada is going to be able to take care of the ball a little bit better and get the job done once again. So Nevada is a 9-point favorite, one to lay the 8.5. Semi-total 133, so also diving under, and we wrap things up with 651-652 on the board. San Diego State plays as Colorado State. Colorado State is an 11 to an 11.5 point underdog with your total at 136.5, seeing a straight 136 as well. And 136 is a max I'm willing to go over on, but I'm willing to take it over. San Diego State is seeing a nice a little tempo shift. They were playing very quickly towards the beginning part of the season. If you look at San Diego State overall for the season, they're now back to right around to our 10th in the country towards the total possessions per game, but in conference, playing at about five possessions fewer than they did out of conference. It's a Colorado State team that they're certainly not looking to just play at warp speed either. Colorado State, they're clocking in in terms of total possessions per game, more in that pocket, about 250th, but Colorado State has been absolutely dreadful with their defense. Good news is they've gotten a few guys back. They we're dealing with illness, injury, what have you, but 265th in the country. It's Colorado State and points a lot on a per-possession basis. Actually giving up about eight tenths of a point fewer per one iron possessions when they're in a road slash shoot record environment rather than when they are at home. And San Diego State has been feeling themselves a little bit more in terms of their offense. As you've got Matt Bradley along with Darian Tremello who've been able to combine for 22.8 points per contest. Bradley shooting 37.5% per three. And overall, it is a team in San Diego State that does shoot 36% per three. Mike Parrish, 7.5 points per contest has been rock solid. You've been able to get some good rebounding out of Jaden Ladee, Kashad Johnson, both giving you five rebounds per game. Nathan Mensa, good defensive player down low, 1.6 blocks to go with 7.6 boards. And for Colorado State, they've done a good job with their outside shooting. They shoot 36.5% from three-point range. You take a look at their top five scores. They all shoot at least 37.5% from three-point range, including Isaiah Stevens, giving out 6.7 assists at 2.1 turnovers with 19 points per game. This guy is able to take over a game. Patrick Cartier, John Tongey, they've been able to combine for about 25.5 points per game. Tongey is 4.9 rebounds per game, is right now leading the team. That is a little bit less than terrific. It is a Colorado State team that has been held down a little bit more in recent games, 71 points or fewer in three out of their last five games. Defense has been a tad bit better recently, giving up fewer than six. He points the Air Force and Fresno State, but I attribute that more to the competition. The other three games that they played in their last five, they've given up at least 80 points in every one of them. It is the San Diego State team that they themselves are starting to lock it down on defense. 61 points if you're giving up in three of their last four games, but for Colorado State, I do think that they're going to be able to can some threes, but man, this Colorado State team has been very, very suspect with their defense. Last time these two teams played, it went to overtime. In regulation, it was a game that landed 65-65. to In overtime, it easily went over the total. Both teams were able to shoot right around 37% from three-point range. I expect more of the same, but I think that San Diego State going to be able to dominate down low. I think that San Diego State going to do a nice job of be able to just take away Colorado State's biggest asset. That is Isaiah Stevens. I do think that their defense is going to be able to really grind down on that. I do think that San Diego State going to have a lot of open looks from three-point range. That's San Diego State as a 12.5 point favorite. I'm going to be willing to lay the number in at 136 or less. Willing to go over and now we're at things up for the 
Tuesday edition of Ghost Ghost Sleeps, now part of the VEASAN family of podcasts. A big thanks to Jeff Parles of VEASAN for joining me in the last segment. If you do like what you're hearing from this fine podcast, Ghost Ghost Sleeps, you're able to subscribe wherever you your podcasts, Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, Stitcher, and TuneIn. If you have a question, comment, segment idea, what have you for this podcast, you have one of two ways we offer those in. First one is my Twitter timeline, at JNN underscore D1. Keep in mind, letter ZM. Maybe it does not matter. As per usual, please do send these into the timeline, and the other way is find an Apple Podcast review. If you rate this podcast five stars, it is very much appreciated. From there, you're able to fire in whatever you'd like to hear on this podcast via that five-star review. I'll be coming at you guys every single day throughout the college basketball season, and that means I'll be coming at you once again tomorrow. Thank you so much for tuning in. At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a walk-off grand slam or a base hit to center field. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment. It's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. If a new house is on your wish list in the next five years, grow your savings faster and experience your dreams with an Ohio Homebuyer Plus account from Kemba Financial Credit Union. A savings account specifically designed to save for a new home where you can earn 7% APY, a $500 matching bonus, and a $1,500 mortgage closing cost credit. Learn more at Kemba.org. Offer expires March 31st, 2025. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. NMLS 292230. Equal housing lender. Federally insured by NCUA.